the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 17 of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. I'm Kyle, your host with the most 17 plus episodes in. You know what, guys? It's been like five months and can't find a new host. It's just going to have to be me. You're just stuck with me so far, and that's fine. I figure if you're still listening to this show, thank you for sticking with me and uh, my ridiculousness. And if you're new to the show, well, Goodbye. Uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better than this. But hey, th- there's always an interesting story to be told, right? There's always something interesting going on. There's always something fun to talk about. There's always, you know, on a weekly basis, uh, and I have been making these shows basically on a week-to-week basis now instead of um, putting, them in, putting them in the can, so to speak, or, or you know, packing a bunch of episodes away and, and, and getting ready for that stuff. Um, I have a little bit more free time now. All I've really been doing right now is just working, which is easy, and uh, studying for my boards test. Um, listeners, longtime listeners of the show might recall that uh, I graduated nursing school on December the 15th, so about three weeks ago or so, about two and a half weeks, three weeks ago, and my boards test is scheduled for January the 20th, so about two and a half weeks from now. Um, It is the test I have to pass to get my license to actually practice nursing in the state of Nebraska and every other state in these United States as well. So, you know, studying for that isn't too terrible, just answering questions here and there, kind of keeping my mind sharp and stuff. I'm not too terrifically worried about the test. Obviously, I am worried because, you know, it's only my fucking life, I guess. But at the same time, there's no really, there's no use in, in... gathering social anxiety and I don't mean social anxiety but test anxiety there's no reason to to gather anxiety in any way about this test because it is what it is after four years of school you know thousands of hours of clinical and tens of thousands of questions answered there really is no reason to be too fearful the only fearful thing is you put in all that time and you hope you don't fail the test that is your final measure before you can transition from being a a student of nursing, a student of anything into a professional uh, guise, into a professional uh, concept, you know, of of at least the novice nurse and then so on and so forth until experience is gathered. So to make that extremely long story a little bit shorter, um, I have been obviously just kind of doing those two things. I don't have school right now or hopefully for a while yet. 
uh, until I decide, you know, inevitably to, to gather some sort of advanced degree. But uh, until that point, I don't have much school. Um, I'm just really doing questions and studying for that test. So I have a little bit more free time than I had in the days before. So I can actually pop these episodes really pretty close to the time that I actually release them. Um, in fact, the last, I think, three or four episodes that I've done, I've done either on the Wednesday or the Thursday right before I publish them on Fridays. So, you know, I, I push it up against the wall a little bit, but I, it's it's interesting, you know, and this goes back to the, the very first point I made. There's always somebody weird and interesting to speak about or to talk about or to, to expand upon uh, every single week. You know, I, sometimes I'm thinking, I'm like, man, there's nobody left to talk about that's fun. Like, I have no clue who I want to talk about. And I'll look at a couple people, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a stupid story, or I don't know if I can make this that interesting. I don't know, whatever. And sure enough, every single week, I always, <laughs> I always fall upon someone who is going to be interesting, who is going to be somebody who is going to make a good story that is worthy of this shitty podcast. You know, I, I have standards too, you know. I have standards too. And this week, we are going to talk about a, a crazy English person who fought with ancient weapons. But get this, and that doesn't seem weird, right? Because there are plenty of ancient peoples from the British Isles and even into uh, the Middle Ages, you know, from the Roman Empire into the Middle Ages, into the Renaissance and so on. There are plenty of people who have used less advanced weaponry in English history only problem with this guy is that he was using this weaponry in the 20th century. So we're going to talk about Jack Churchill today. We're going to get right into it right now. Nice and nice and short little intro monologue for this episode 17 of Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. Guys, stick with me. Jack Church Hill. I should say, interestingly enough, this is our second Englishman in a row that we've done. Uh, the only thing that separates him is about 400 or so paltry little years in between Guy Fox and Mr. Churchill here. No relation, by the way, to Winston Churchill, uh, the more famous and more uh, well-known of the two men. Jack Churchill, he's a real interesting cat. This guy, This guy did a lot of this guy did a lot of shit in his life and uh, a very interesting way to go along it. So, so Jack was born in uh, 1906, actually in Hong Kong um, at this time. If you are a student of geographical history, Hong Kong was uh, a part of the United Kingdom. Um, and it was, I believe, until the 90s when it was then ceded back to Chinese rule. 
although we could probably get into that in a later episode because Hong Kong is kind of China and also isn't really China. It's its own sort of special district, and they do their own thing, whatever. At the point when he was born, he was born in uh, September of 1906 in Hong Kong as a British citizen. He was uh, raised there until he eventually um, went to England and graduated from the Royal Military College uh, in Sandhurst in 1926. After he graduated from the Royal Military College in Sandhurst um, in 1926, he joined the military. Obviously, he was part of the military being a military graduate, but he went back to, I wouldn't say back to exactly where he was from. Obviously, he was born in Hong Kong. He went to uh, Burma to go serve as a member of the uh, Manchester Regiment, which was stationed in, in Burma at the time. And this is an interwar time. So this is in between World War One and uh, at, that, at that point known as the Great War, World War One and World War Two, which wouldn't break out, obviously, for another uh, decade or so. So he's just hanging out in Burma, doing his thing. Um, the thing you got to realize about Jack Churchill, born John... Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill, what a name. We'll just call him Jack, also known as Fighting Jack Churchill or the Mad Jack. He was definitely a likes-to-fight guy. This is a dude who, I, I don't know, it's, it's a strange when you look at him because he did so many, he was a very eclectic guy, did a lot of different things, but goddamn, he just loved to just get in there and brawl. I mean, there was nothing that made this dude happier than getting into a fight with somebody for, you know, whatever patriotic reason that he had in his head. And he was a very, like, he was a very, you know, stiff upper lip type of English um, patriot. He just loved getting in there. That's why he joined the military. That's why he went to the the uh, Royal Military College in Sandhurst and was part of the military because he wanted to be a guy who would do sort of stuff like that. So he was involved in the Burma Rebellion there in 1930 up to uh, 1932. During his time in the military down there, he 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 loved just hanging out, riding his bike around, and he kind of just sort of got bored during his time when he was when he was bored down in Burma. He basically became an archer, taught himself to be an archer, became super good at it. By the way, and that'll come in handy later on. Became a super good archer, taught himself to play the bagpipes. It's so funny too because. He got into this really like Scottish, uh, this Scottish mode, even though he himself, you know, was born in Hong Kong um, and was hardly, you know, like a, a native Scotsman, but he was very much a Scottish man at heart. So he goes, learns to be an archer, becomes awesome at it, teaches himself how to play the bagpipes so he could do that. That's fun. And eventually, you know, teaches himself to be extremely proficient with the a, a Scottish broadsword or a claymore, it might better be known as. Um, just sort of a big old sword that you could carry around a battle. Definitely something that you would probably end up using with two hands or one if you're a super badass like Jack Churchill. So this is all the things he's doing kind of in the, uh, the 20s and the 30s after he graduated school and was hanging out in Burma. Eventually, because there's no real conflict going on, Churchill leaves the British Army in 1936 after about 10 years of service, and he goes and works as a newspaper editor in Nairobi, Kenya. 
of all places, just I'm going to go to Kenya and be a newspaper editor because he's just this cosmopolitan guy. He's just like a world traveler, like a free spirit at heart. This guy just wants to go places, see places, maybe punch a dude in the face when he's out of place, and then continue on with his life. So he goes and works as a newspaper editor in Nairobi, Kenya. And cool cool enough, we got our own Derek Zoolander on our hands here. Jack Churchill also becomes a male model because apparently he's handsome as shit. So this dude just, you know, likes to fight guy. I'm going to go ride my bicycle around and my motorcycle around. I'm going to learn how to be an archer. I'm going to carry this sweet sword around. I'm going to play the fucking bagpipes. I'm going to go be a newspaper editor in Kenya. And also, hey, by the way, I'm super handsome. I guess I'm a male model now. He actually, if you go look, he played a role in the uh, 1924 film. This would have happened during his college days in The uh, the Thief of Baghdad, which is, a, I guess, a film. Uh, I am not familiar with this movie at all, but he apparently was in the 1924 film, The Thief of Baghdad, playing his bagpipes. And then he was also in a 1938 film, much closer to uh, the wartime that would break out, called A Yank at Oxford. Doing bagpipe stuff, being a bagpipe man, being handsome as fuck. This is, this is at this point, Jack Churchill's life, just kind of doing whatever. He actually became so good at archery that he represented Great Britain at the World Archery Championships in Oslo, Norway in 1939. Now, if we're thinking about history... And and you're still with me here, thinking and talking about history. If you had to guess what sort of weird, crazy, humongous world event took place in Europe in 1939, if you guessed that the outbreak of World War II took place in 1939, you'd be exactly correct. Germany invades Poland in 1939, kicking off what everybody in Europe knew was going to happen for the last decade. Because when you think about the, the the economics of the entire situation, in World War One, you have the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, you have Germany, so you have basically these two giant combatants, and you have others as well on their side, and then you have uh, allied powers, I guess. These would have been like the central powers and allied powers in, in, in World War One, which would eventually sort of be known as... Axis powers in World War II and Allied powers in World War II. So you have this conflict going on in the uh, the nineteen teens, uh, the World War One times, that absolutely, absolutely devastates Europe. I recommend if you're really into if you're really into World War history, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History podcast, um, Blueprint for Armageddon, I believe, is the one that he covers World War One. And I would say extremely exhausting detail. I think it's four parts. It might be five parts, but they're like three or four hours long a piece. So if you want to really get into like some real gritty ass World War One shit, go listen to his podcast. Go waste. Uh, I wouldn't say waste. Go hang out with him. It's, it's not a waste, especially if you're into it. Go hang out with him for like 20 straight hours and listen to it. It's amazing. But to make that long story extremely short, Europe is extremely devastated from World War One, it's it's a it's a horrible thing. Just so many fucking people die. World War One was like a crossroads between, um, and and this sort of actually plays into our story today, is a crossroads between, um, older technology in war and new technology in war. So you still had people in World War One riding horses around as cavalry, um, using swords, using muskets even, or very old rifles. And then this meets with the modern era, 
of giant, you know, howitzer type cannons, giant artillery, more advanced guns, machine guns, this and that. So, you know, people were just dying by the fucking thousands in World War One. I. I mean, it wasn't even crazy to think that you could kill like tens of thousands of men in a single night just from not from any sort of crazy bombing or anything, just blowing the fuck out of them with artillery and machine guns. I mean, real just gritty, nasty way to just annihilate so many people to the point where all of Europe basically just becomes this trench trench dug hellhole where guys would just fight for weeks and months on end to make up like six yards of territory. I mean, it, just, it was absolutely brutal, everything that went along with that war. So brutal, in fact, that it just absolutely tanked the economy of the entirety of Europe, but especially the economy of Germany. Germany being, you know, obviously the the the, the major uh, belligerent uh, uh, in World War II. Everybody at the end of this war, after Germany finally surrenders, and Austria-Hungary, you know, finally surrender. Everybody surrenders. In the treaty thereafter, everybody's like, "Hey, Germany, you know what? Fuck you, dude. It's this is your fault. You did this. This is your bad. So, hey, by the way, uh, you're gonna pay reparations to all of us because we didn't want to get in this goddamn fight to begin with. But here you go, and you're just gonna pay us, and you're gonna pay for all of this bullshit. Well, when you're uh, uh, and, and don't you don't get me wrong, Germany is not a small country by any means, but Europe is huge. Europe is is very highly populated. Um, these days, I think somewhere around, I want to say five to 600 million people live in Europe, um, more than the United States, obviously they're packed in there a lot tighter too. Um, but even then, obviously a lot more people lived in Europe than in the United States. So you just had this super dense, you know, people, so many countries everywhere. And they're all sort of just leaning on these central powers to pay for the damages of the war. Well, what do you think that's going to do to any country? country's economy especially a smaller you know type of country trying to, to prop up everybody else it, it absolutely fucking destroys it and that destruction of the economy basically devalues germany's uh money completely utterly because to, to keep up with having to pay stuff off the currency gets gets inflated and inflated and inflated as more money is printed more money is printed to the point where it's like zimbabwe money like you got like just billions and trillions of dollars and paper money and it is worth nothing basically it's worth it's worth tender for fire that's about the best that you can do with that sort of money well eventually this leads to a a, a, a rife populism in germany where you know it becomes this you know us versus them mentality hey we're germans we are superior why is this happening to us why should we have to do all this bullshit. Why should we have to pay for other people's shit when, you know, this and that? And, the, and this is, you know, like 20 plus years now removed from the original conflict, the the Great War, World War One, And you get a you get a fellow named Adolf Hitler just jumping in there uh, along with a, a bunch of other guest men as well. And using this sort of mentality, this sort of narrative of, hey, why should we have to pay for all this bullshit? We're the best. We're superior. You know, fuck that shit. And people are on his side because if you're poor as hell and everything just seems like it's down and out against you what are you going to do you know how when we think about world war 1 into world war 2 and and how things progress i know this doesn't have much to do with jack churchill i'm just trying to as we always do i'm just trying to set up a little bit of context for the situation um because of my own brain this is the way it works uh you're looking at 
a country that has basically just absolutely just been shit pounded for years, what are they going to do? They're going to go straight at it again. So most people in Europe kind of saw the writing on the wall that, you know, the Great War was not going to be the last Great War fought in Europe because of, of things that happened. And one of the biggest mistakes was making Germany the whipping boy of the rest of Europe after the first conflict because it just led into this second conflict. But one guy who was who was mega happy to, to get back into the fighting was a man named Jack Churchill, our mad Jack himself. He was very into, very into this war. So he's he goes and represents Great Britain in the World Archery Championships in Oslo in 1939. And a little bit after that, the Second World War breaks out. Now, remember, he's not in the army anymore. He left in 1936 after 10 years in the military. But you can be goddamn certain that he was like, I'm back. I'm in. Fuck it, man. I only been out for a few years. Throw me back into a bitch. Let's do it. I'm finally going to go kick some ass. It's going to be sweet. So the British Army recommissions him, uh, and he joins the British Expeditionary Force in World War II after the Germans had invaded Poland. So they go over to France, uh, and this is in May of 1940 now. So uh, the World War II timeline, Germany invades Poland in September of 39. They roll their ass all over fucking Europe and take over just shitloads of territory, including France at this point. France was absolutely devastated, just like Germany was post-World War One. So when Germany was able to remobilize their forces and go on nonstop, France had, had no way to defend themselves. They just couldn't. They just got their asses beat into the ground during World War One. Just so many people were fucked and died. You know, the Western Front was in France. So, you know, as as it's twenty years now since the end of World War Two or World War One, excuse me. That's not enough time. That's still basically within almost the same exact generation as the previous one. I mean, very nearly twenty years is just barely enough time to have a generation or so pass between each war. So it's still fresh. The the, the wounds and the, the, the cuts given are still fresh in the minds of everybody. So Germany steamrolls everybody, including France. Jack Churchill and his boys are in the British Expeditionary Force. They then go to France in May of 1940. Churchill and his old school unit, the Manchester Regiment, him and his boys, they get into it. They get going. Now let's let's paint a picture super quick of this guy before we go any farther. Now, he wasn't only a badass because he was a fucking weirdo and wanted to do weird shit with his life. He was a badass because he was an insane person. Now, most guys in World War II decided that when they went into combat, they were going to go into combat with their trusty rifles or machine guns or whatever they were going to carry, and that was that. Well, Mr. Churchill here decided that he wasn't going to do any of that shit and that he was much more of a much more of a, I guess a, a sort of a gentleman an older time soldier you know from a different era oftentimes when he was going into combat Mr. Churchill was armed with a sword the aforementioned Scottish broadsword a fucking longbow and sometimes he would carry his goddamn bagpipes with him too that was what he did he carried a fucking bow and arrow a sword and bagpipes into combat. No gun. He didn't get fucking need a gun. Why would this guy need a gun? He was too much of a badass to need a gun. So he joins the British Expedi Expeditionary Force. God, this is such a fucking word. Expeditionary Force 
and they go into the shitstorm known as France in the 1940s, and they immediately get caught up into that that just fuck pounding that Hitler's you know German blitzkrieg force is just doing to everybody. If you are familiar with this time period as well, this is around the time that Dunkirk was taking place. So if you've seen that movie, then you might be familiar with sort of the circumstances uh, surrounding the BEF during the time. But him and his unit are thrown into this conflict, and then basically it's just a gigantic retreat to Dunkirk. But Mr. Churchill is basically just a savage guerrilla commando, and he doesn't give a fuck what people think. So he, he's just a guy from a different era. He's definitely got that... World War One mentality, even though he was not an officer by any means during that conflict, he definitely had that mentality in his in his head that if he was going to give up territory, he sure as shit wasn't going to give it up for free. So he would always lead these like guerrilla kind of commando style raids and stuff against German forces, you know, with a few men here and there, and he would always just go and fuck people up. I mean, can you imagine him just leading a command? against German forces with a goddamn sword in his hand. Like, hey, what's up, guys? I got this sword. I got this bow. I'm going to shoot people with it like he's fucking Robin Hood with his merry men just dropping in there and, you know, punching a few faces and then jumping straight out like ghosts. But this is what he did. As they were making their retreat to Dunkirk, the British force, he and his boys would jump in and out, Mr. Churchill, with a sword, uh, of all things, and they would just make shit happen. They would just beat people up. And and it was just this insane thing. I mean, can you even imagine a guy in modern war acting like that? It's a different era. You you just couldn't even have a guy like that these days. But you definitely still could during the Second World War. And that was the type of guy that, that Jack Churchill was. Mad Jack Churchill running in with this sword and bow and arrow and just making shit happen. He was quoted actually in saying when people were like, dude, why are you carrying a sword into combat for? I mean, we got guns, man. If you want to grab a gun... Uh, there's a box in the back. You can go get a gun, dude. It's cool if you want to have a gun during the World War II, during a modern 20th century war, man. We'll get you a, a machine gun. And he responds, quote, In my opinion, sir, any officer who goes into action without his sword is improperly dressed, unquote. That is an extremely British thing to say. This guy from Hong Kong may be the most British person on earth. More British than the Queen. More British than James Bond. Jack Churchill might be the most British man alive, which is funny because he is so British, yet he is also very Scottish, even though he isn't Scottish. For some reason, his heart was hanging out up in the highlands of Scotland because he really loved that Scottish sword. He really loved that goddamn set of bagpipes. He would, he would, those are going to come into play here fairly soon, but we'll get to that, you know, in a sec. He was, during the Dunkirk portion of the war, he was the weirdest, most eccentric dude ever. I mean, like I was saying, he was just in there gorilla killing everybody. And he was doing it like, oh, ho-hum, this is just my life now. This is just what we do, is we just ride around. I mean, literally, he would get on his, his trusty motorcycle and just ride around being a crazy person with his bow strapped to him and his sword flailing around. He was just driving his little motorcycle around, just causing shit to go down. Uh, at one, At one point... Um, during part of the retreat to Dunkirk uh, with the 4th Infantry Brigade. Um, he took command of his company when his company commander was wounded, and it was during this fight that he uh, hit that he hit a, uh, a German soldier 
the uh, the Feldwebel or the staff sergeant of the the German force that was attacking them with a goddamn arrow in the throat. Uh, yeah, he he was sitting in a tower, saw this happening, said, "Okay, I'm gonna." He literally said, "I'm gonna shoot that guy with an arrow," and then proceeded to shoot that guy with an arrow, a barbed arrow of all things, and killed the guy, being the only man to kill a man with an arrow in World War II. Literally, this, this guy is just out there, fucking Oliver Queen style, just arrows flying around everywhere, killing people. He does that during this portion. Uh, he uh, He's driving around on his motorcycle a little bit later on and sees an officer that he used to work with, that it was his old buddy uh, from the old days in the Manchester Regiment. Um, he's driving around on his motorcycle. His bow is tied to the frame. Arrows are just sticking out everywhere. <laughs> and he's got a German officer's cap hanging on the headlight because I'm assuming, I mean, there's no story to go along with that, but I'm assuming he, like, in the dead of night, just jumped in and just, like, beheaded some German dude with his fucking sword and then took his hat. And it was like, oh, chip, chip, cheerio, I got this hat. Motorcycle, drive away. <laughs> and he goes, he's got this thing hanging on his headlight. He sees his buddy. And he says, oh, hello, Clark. Got anything to drink? Like, it's no fucking big deal. Like, he just sees his friend. He's like, hey, man, you want to go uh, grab a beer super quick? I uh, just got done killing a German dude and a bunch of his friends, like uh, like a savage that I truly am. Let's go have a fucking, let's go have a pint, mate. So this happens, obviously, during the, the retreat to Dunkirk. Um, he gets off his motorcycle after seeing his buddy. His friend notices that he's got a bunch of blood on his face and his... Uh, 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 the side of his neck and his ear, and he goes, "Hey man, what what happened to you?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, just a German machine gun happened to me. Oh, just you know, super casual. Like, I went and killed a German guy. I rode my motorcycle here. Hey dude, let's have a pint. Oh, what happened to me? Oh, no big deal. Just German machine gun. You know, whatever. It's all good. Uh, I was just too tired to run, so I got shot. It's fine. Because of this, he won his first military cross during that retreat. Um, at this time, he also uh really tried a weird thing. He tried to attempt." To uh, get a tank unstuck by hitching six trucks together to salvage that tank. Didn't work out, but he did end up saving a dude. So that's fun. But during this whole time, I mean, this guy is just out there with his sword going crazy. Kills a guy with a fucking arrow. Tries to get a bunch of trucks together to rescue a tank. You know, says hey to a dude who's his friend. Want to get a beer? Oh, who shot me? Eh, it doesn't matter. German machine gun. Who gives a shit? I'm fine. Let's go get a beer, dude. I got my bow and my arrow. Let's go. Let's go fucking do it. And that's it. I mean, he eventually makes it to Dunkirk. They they survive the encounter. They they push back Nazi forces, and then he is then uh, taken back to England, uh, shipped back, you know, and, and and getting ready for the next chapter, the next theater of the war. Well, uh, befitting a man like Mad Jack, the British Army was developing a new division of their military called the Commandos. Well. Jack Churchill didn't know what the fuck a commando even was, but when he heard about the aggressive training and what they were going to do, he was he was all for it. He didn't give a shit what a commando was as long as he could be a fucking insane badass. He was more than willing to become a part of that situation. So, he joins the commandos. Um they complete their super grueling awful training, which he fucking loves, of course he does. And they head up on a mission in Norway, this will be then in the uh, the 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 winter of 1941. So cold as fuck. It's Norway in December. So obviously, it, not going to be a thing that is just you know this this nice temperate climate or anything. And he doesn't give a shit. He loves it. He 
he's just like Scottish in his heart and blood. He just loves that 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 the hills and the water and the cold and just the do what and the bagpipes and do whatever the fuck you want. So much that when they're they're making their way up to uh, uh, Vagsoy in Norway to take place, you know, with uh, Operation Archery, what it's called, uh, not because of him shooting bows and arrows and shit, just kind of a, a coincidence, but but oddly perfect for him. So during Operation Archery, the British were going to send forces up to Vagsoy, Norway, because there were Germans encamped up there at the time, and they were going to make a, a, a landing at that beach, and they were just going to go take out all this artillery. Well, motherfucking this guy, Jack Churchill, is like, here we go. <laughs> Sits on the very front of his um, amphibious vehicle, getting ready to get out of the vehicle to go, you know, up on land to go do this thing. And he's just blasting straight up on his bagpipes. He doesn't give a shit. He's just like, well, bagpipe time. And he gets his bagpipes out and he starts playing the March of the Cameron Men. Just blasting it this is december 27th now of 1941 um making this shit happen door pops open and then there's just guy with all his dudes behind him this guy just blasting bagpipes he gets done pulls his sword out and they just run on the beach and they fucking win they make stuff happen it's insane so they take malloy which is part of this vagsoy area and take a bunch of they kill a bunch of dudes and take a bunch of other dudes prisoner and the entire thing is just a, a total roaring success so much so that they basically inflict about double the the casualties and uh both deaths and injuries against german forces they sink about 15,000 tons of shipping and it gets adolf hitler so shaking in his boots so like oh what do i do that he ends up diverting a bunch of forces up into Norway, into this same area, which probably could have been used at literally any other area in the war theater because he was so scared of guys like Churchill just blasting through in Norway and taking out, you know, other Scandinavian posts of, of Nazi Germany that he diverts a bunch of forces there in, in a like a dumbass move and then basically, you know, takes defensive forces away from literally every other place. And the fact that the uh, the British were so goddamn good at that amphibious landing and destroying their shit and taking everybody prisoner that literally Germans just never could really sleep again at night if they were on a beachhead because that that insane devilish ghost man with a sword and bow and arrow was going to you know come and haunt them and just take their asses out. So a very successful Operation Archery taking out that German garrison in uh, Vagsoy, Norway. Guy plays his bagpipes, chucks a grenade. By the way, that was probably his one modern use of technology. Threw a grenade after he got done playing his bagpipes and then gets his sword out and just starts going ape shit. Ends up um, earning him his second military cross. He earned one for Dunkirk and then he earns one for here as well. Well, of course, that's not the end of, of Mad Jack Churchill's fight. By no means. In fact, one of the most insane things that he does happens here in 1943. While in command of Commando Number Two, he was in Number uh, Three Commando on on the onslaught in Norway. He's in charge of Number Two Commando in 1943 in Italy, and him and his dudes, along with some uh, some Americans and some others as well, are making uh, headway into a town called uh, Piagoletti. 
in Italy. Now, his assignment was to neutralize the German artillery and find a way to, you know, get them out of that town and make it happen. Well, Jack doesn't have all that many dudes. He actually only has 50 men, and he's trying to figure out a way to get into this town and make this work. He knows he's outnumbered, probably three to one, and, you know, he's just trying to figure out how can we get our guys in here and make some shit happen. Well, being the insane genius he really is in in terms of war, and you always kind of see that with people like this. It's like, in normal life, you might not think of this guy as as anything other than uh, just a normal, everyday, kind of a weirdo guy. But when war happens, all of a sudden, there's some sort of, like, click in his head that turns on his his inner genius. So, waiting for the cover of night. And now he knows that there's a bunch of uh, heavy undergrowth and shrubbery and all that kind of stuff near the town that, that definitely they're not going to be able to get through silently. So, you know, normally at night they might try to sneak in, be really quiet. And do their work there. But he knows that there's no way that they're going to be able to sneak into the town. So what he does is, A, he splits his team up into six um, parallel lines of guys. So just a few, you know, just a dozen guys per line or so. And he gets them all spread out really wide. And then instead of trying to sneak into the town um, through the undergrowth, he literally has them just yell commando. Like the word commando. Okay, (laughs) So all of his dudes are just like screaming commando and firing their guns and making a whole bunch of ruckus as they advance in the town. Well, the Germans don't know what the fuck is going on because it's it's he spreads the line of his men out so far and wide. And with the gunfire and the screaming and the chaos, the Germans think there are a lot more guys coming for them than there actually are. So he kind of tricks them into thinking, hey, there's a huge force surrounding us. Holy shit, we got to dig ourselves in and we have to defend ourselves. They're not going to come out, you know, and use their actual superior numbers to win a fight. They're so confused that they dig themselves in. Well, then, like a true commando, Jack and a a, a guy he brings with him, just a a non-commissioned officer named Ruffle, uh, Corporal Ruffle, him and this one guy, there's two of them, they go into the town themselves. They sneak in. He gets his sword out, because of course he does, and he's ready to go. They find themselves sneaking around. They see a couple of German soldiers uh, digging in around them. Um, He sees a cigarette lit in the darkness, knowing where they are. Him and his buddy capture these two German sentry guys. And he basically runs in. The Germans see him. He's got this sword blade just gleaming in the night, you know, showing, hey, man, what up? I'm the fucking insane person with a sword. (laughs) Do what I say. And he screams, Heidenhoek! And they're like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to stop now because they're German guys. They just hear this screaming banshee demon out of nowhere. And they're like, oh, I guess we'll give up. So him and Ruffle capture this guy. They force them to carry their weapons with them where he takes the bolts out of their gun, throws them in a sack. They carry He carries a sack around while the Germans basically carry a bunch of uh, weapons that are useless. And him and Ruffle proceed to go around the camp and capture a total of 42 guys with this technique. 42 dudes with these just two guys. Just 42 guys. And they round them up. And they eventually gather them around um, with a total of 136 prisoners being captured total with this uh, this this company of 50 men led by Mad Jack. 136 guys are captured, including 42 by him and Ruffle themselves. And then they just, they just march them on down. 
to become prisoners. And a funny church, uh, a funny uh, quote by Churchill himself says um, uh, the reason why he allowed his guys to uh, his prisoners to bring their arms with them. Quote, I always bring my prisoners back with their weapons. It weighs them down. I just took their rifle bolts out and put them in a sack, which one of the prisoners carried. They also carried the mortar and all the bombs they could carry and also pulled a farm car with five wounded in it. I maintain that as long as you tell a German loudly and clearly what to do, if you are senior to him, he will cry, Yo, and get on with it enthusiastically and efficiently, whatever the situation. That's why they make such marvelous soldiers, unquote. So he's just a, an absolute genius of warfare. Can you imagine just this guy jumping out of a bush with a sword, screaming German at you? You're just like a German conscript soldier. You're not an SS officer or anything. You're just a German army corporal and you're just like what the fuck do I do I just I guess I give up I guess I'm gonna I don't want to get my head chopped off by this crazy person so I guess I give up uh we've heard of you dude we don't want anything to do with your crazy ass uh I surrender uh you take me and my buddy with me it's gonna be it's gonna be fine so that's Mad Jack in 1943 kicking ass in Italy he then goes to the Yugoslav area in 1944 to keep fighting and keep kicking ass. Well, unfortunately for Mr. Churchill, his war luck was finally going to run out on him. So he and his guys are, are trying to attack this sort of really entrenched, you know, artillery-covered area, and it was going to take the, the cooperation of a lot of the forces, including his own uh, commando troop, to go make it happen. Well, he leads this troop in, in this, you know, of course crazy yelling insane sword brandishing bow and arrow uh position up the hills in this Yugoslav island that they're fighting on now um and trying to overrun these positions making it you know very commando-y type of thing to do well probably not the smartest idea because a whole bunch of dudes got killed on the way up you know attacking this position Churchill was not one of them although by the time they got up there he quickly finds himself isolated with only a handful of defenders around him. There were only six commandos with him on the hilltop, and three of them were wounded, two of them really fucking wounded. Well, Churchill says, quote, I was distressed to find that everyone was armed with revolvers except myself. <laughs> of course, he's like, oh, damn it. Everybody's got a gun, and I don't have a gun. Oh, well, I guess, fuck it, I don't give a shit. Literally, he says, fuck it, I don't give a shit. He sees what's going on and says, you know what? This is probably the end for me. You know, I had a good run, boys. We kicked a lot of ass. I sorted a lot of people in the throat. I killed a guy with a bow and arrow. I'm an insane person. If this is going to be how it ends, then, then I want nothing more than to end my life in war. Pulls out his bagpipes because, of, of course, he's carrying his trusty bagpipes with him in this fucking fight. And starts playing the tune, Will Ye No Come Back Again? And he's just like, I'm just going to die. I'm going to play a sweet bagpipe song, and I'm going to die. Well, he's knocked unconscious, eventually, by a German grenade. Not killed, knocked unconscious when a German uh, frag grenade goes off near him, but not so near him that it kills him. And he regains consciousness later to discover that German soldiers are prodding people, you know, on the battlefield. This is after the battle is over, trying to find who is still alive. Well... Churchill eventually, I guess, since he is one of those alive people that they're prodding, is then captured and sent to a POW camp. 
but this would not be the end of the insanity of Mad Jack Churchill. So he goes to prison. He is first, well, first he goes to Berlin because the Germans discover his name, Jack Churchill, and think that, oh, hey, this guy is related to Winston Churchill. We should definitely take him to Berlin to interrogate him because obviously he's a he's a relative of of the the terrible commander of those goddamn British forces, so we gotta talk to him. Then they discover he's not because he's a badass and of course he can just take any sort of interrogation anybody throws at him. They discover he is not related to Winston Churchill. And they then send him to the uh Sachsenhausen concentration camp in Germany. Well, there's there's no concentration camp on earth that's gonna hold fucking Jack Churchill in. So he's hanging out in this awful concentration camp. Uh but one night in a very uh, uh, ballsy move, him and an RAF officer, uh, RAF being the Royal Air Force, another Britishman, they crawl out of the concentration camp under the cover of darkness through, I guess, an abandoned drain pipe or an unused drain pipe underneath the barbed wire. They go, hey, we're going to crawl out of this thing and we're going to make our way towards the Baltic coast and get the fuck out of here. They get pretty far. They're recaptured, unfortunately, but they get within three miles of uh, of a coastal city, which, you know, they would have probably been able to hitch a ride on a boat somewhere and get the fuck out of there. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, they were recaptured. Um, but instead of just killing Churchill, I guess the Germans had some sort of weird respect for him, I guess, and decide that, hey, man, I guess we're just going to continue to send you to other concentration camps. They then send him to a concentration camp in Austria. Um, in southern Austria near the Alps. So he's hanging out in this concentration camp. So he's sent to the uh, Sachsenhausen in 1944 after being captured. And then in 1945, he's hanging out in this particular concentration camp. Well, being the opportunistic guy that he was, one night in April, the uh, the camp's lighting system just shorts out and fails. Well, Churchill is just like, well, fuck it, I'm out of here now. Goodbye. Decides to uh, walk away from his work detail. He disappears into the darkness night and just walks away fucking out of there. He walks 150 fucking miles through really difficult, you know, Alps type area. Like, it's kind of like, I would say it's probably similar to like if you were hiking around in the Rocky Mountains in, in some of those tough ass terrains and altitude and shit. He didn't give a fuck. He was like, goodbye. And just walked out of the camp after the the lighting fails. Walks 150 miles through the Alps, quote liberating vegetables unquote from Austrian gardens, and cooking them in his tin can that he picked up. And that's how he basically stays alive. And just keeps walking. Just keeps walking. Eventually, like I said, he walks 150 miles for Verona, where eventually he hitches a ride with a bunch of Americans that he finds on the eighth day of his escape. Hobbling along on a sprained ankle, he finds uh, a, a column of armored vehicles. Well, he sees that they're American. Hooray! He managed to flag down one of the vehicles and persuade the crew that in spite of his scruffy appearance, because obviously he's been a prisoner of war for like a year now, um, looking like shit, that he was a British colonel. He convinces them that this is true, and even though they probably have no real uh, reason to believe him, the Americans are like, yeah, man. You seem like a fucking insane person that you could only be a weirdo British guy, so you're definitely British. Cool, man. So they ship his ass back to uh, England, where he belongs. Well, fucking none of this is going to stop the maverick spirit of Jack Churchill 
He doesn't want to stop fighting after all that bullshit, after all the things he's done and been through. He still doesn't want to stop fighting. So he gets back. He gets back to England and says, well, fuck it, man. I'm going to I'm going to keep fighting. You know, the war in Europe at this point is basically over. But he you know, the war is still going on in Japan. So he figures, "Okay, well, I'm going to head that way and I'm going to keep fighting and keep making it happen. So he's on a train towards his old Burma um, and he's just going to 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 make it happen there because in Burma, this is still uh, a, a large land war being waged against Jap- against Japanese forces. It's still going on there. So he figures, fuck it, man, I'm going back. We're going to make it happen. I'm going to take my sword and my bow, and we are going to make it. We're going to make it. And then <laughs> Americans drop a bomb of the atomic nature on Hiroshima and then later on at Nagasaki, where the Japanese, they're like, well, that's a little bit too much, so we need to surrender. And... In frustrating fashion, he does not get a fight in that war again. He's very mad. Of course he is. Of course a guy who's been through all this shit, who wants to keep fighting, is mad that the war, this insane, huge, long war, is finally over. He was quoted as saying, and only probably half-jokingly, that, quote, if it hadn't been for the damn Yanks, we could have kept the war going for another 10 years. That's the kind of That's the kind of guy that he was. But was Jack done fighting? Fuck no. Of course he wasn't done fighting. He later becomes a parachutist in uh, in the the Seaforth Highlander force, where he is then sent down um, to British Palestine post-World War II in 1948. Now, this is about the time that uh, the British mandate is about to happen, which makes uh, a, a new Jewish homeland, uh, a formalized Israel, out of the area that at this point is Palestine. So... That's a whole nother fucking thing brewing that we're definitely not going to talk about in this episode, which is already extremely long. Um, But yes, he's down there during the fight, and he actually ends up saving uh, a medical convoy during this time because he uses his sweet, sweet military genius to sense that, hey, there's like a bombing that's about to happen on this convoy. Holy shit. You know, drives down in a little Jeep car. And manages to radio and everything is saved because of his insanity and his as absolute military genius and being able to recognize those sort of things from happening. Eventually, though, like all good things, his military career has to come to an end. He then spends some of his retirement years shooting in more films. He's actually in Ivanhoe as an archer. Uh, shooting stuff, you know, from uh, the walls of a castle. So if you go watch Ivanhoe, you you might see our boy Jack up in there. He eventually becomes a uh, instructor at the Land Air Warfare School in Australia, where, of course, he becomes a passionate devotee of the surfboard. So this weird, crazy military guy is also, you know, totally a surfer dude as well. So he he gets way back into that. And then he goes back to England after he's done teaching at the uh, Land and Air Warfare School in Australia and becomes the first man to ride the River Severin's five-foot tidal bore because why wouldn't you? Just a weirdo surfing in England, making it happen. Um, he eventually gets a desk job uh, with the Army, which he, he values greatly because he loves watching what he called the enthusiastic cadets and uh, this job gave him an office in the horse guards of Whitehall uh, and a window from which he could watch troopers of the household cavalry mounting guard in a courtyard below him. So he's always 
He never would fight in a war again, but he was always going to be a warrior, right? This guy, of all people I think I've ever really talked about, minus maybe um, our sniper Simo from a, from a few episodes ago, truly encapsulates the warrior spirit like Jack Churchill did. And he that's it. I mean, he, he lived all the way until 1996, so I'm glad to say that him and I spent 11 years on this earth together. We may not have ever met each other, and knowing his story now, that makes me a little sad because he seems like a fucking awesome dude, but he lived, you know, all the way up to 1996 where he passed away in Surrey very peacefully in his home, and he leaves a legacy of total and complete insanity as well as being a guy who could who could kill guys in a modern war with swords and bows and he was always willing to to jump up and take the opportunity to play his bagpipes, shoot a guy with an arrow, and just absolutely make it happen. And he was just the happiest guy ever. A guy whose, whose element truly was war. A guy who probably wasn't very into the thought of the suffering and the death of war, but was always, you know, excited by the chance to to do better, to excel, to to make things happen. Uh Jack is is one of the most interesting figures in World War II and there are a lot of interesting figures that that took place during that particular war. Interesting guy, right? Interesting fella. So now without further ado, let's just, you know, as we do, I've still after, you know, damn near 20 episodes, I still haven't found a good segue into the second portion, but we're going to hit it. I I bought another Snapple, guys. We're going to hit that Snapple cap back to the week right now. Well, this fact comes to you courtesy of a delicious uh, peach tea, as I am wont to get. This real fact, this Snapple fact of the week, is real fact number 120. The only continent without reptiles or snakes is Antarctica. Very appropriate, as Nebraska, my my home state, the state from which I hail, was fucking colder than Antarctica last week. So, wonderful. There you go. Thanks, Snapple. And that's all she wrote, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in another week with me on the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. I have been Kyle, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser, on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser. You can find the show page on Facebook, search Knowledge from the Couch. I have forgotten to say this the last, like, 10 episodes because very few emails come in, but we do have an email address, uh, knowledgecouch at gmail.com. If you have to pretend like you're from 1997 and want to send me an email, you can certainly do it there. Um... This is a call for action for all my listeners. Uh, again, I would like uh, more suggestions for topics to do from the show. I've actually done a few that people have suggested, but as I stated at the top of the show, here and there and everywhere, um, it is kind of a pain to try to think of a topic every single week sometimes. Um, so if you guys would like to continue to send me suggestions, you can either message me if you know me personally, or you can email the show. You can email uh, me personally. You can contact me on Twitter. It's wherever you want to contact me. 
send me some more suggestions on stuff to do. There are a few topics that I am saving that I have been suggested for when I expand the show to actually have other people on it besides just me. So I'm fine with you suggesting those things again and and if that's part of your uh, suggestions. But just note that I didn't forget about you. I didn't forget about your suggestions. They're not falling on deaf ears. I am just saving a few of those. Uh, for example, the Tesla versus Edison suggestion I've gotten from actually like four different people. Very interesting historical topic. I would like to do that one with more than just me because that's one that is fun to talk about with other people. So continue to send me your suggestions. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it literally wherever podcasts are. Make sure that you rate the show and that you leave a comment. If you leave a comment, I will read it as part of the outro monologue. I will read your comment about the show. That's fun, right? That's a thing people do. Otherwise, guys, I don't have anything else to do. Episode 18 next week, I have no clue, per the use, what we're doing. That's why I asked for suggestions. Guys, until then, thanks for listening to this nearly hour-long show. Maybe it is an hour long. I don't know. I guess we'll see. But, guys, thank you so much for listening. You are my favorite people in the world. Oh, it, oh this is what I was forgetting. Uh, this week... I actually didn't use a DJ Quad song. I had been for the last probably month and a half or so. But both the Segway song and the outro song are from a guy named Blue Wednesday. I'm going to link his SoundCloud profile in the show notes for this episode. So go check him out. He also has weird, cool, interesting music. So now that I've gotten that plug out of the way, the, the most important plug for the person actually probably putting out the most useful content uh, for the episode at large. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Until next week, we'll see you then. I'm out. This is the